You're listening to a podcast from GUT. Welcome to the GUT podcast. I'm Mary McLean, Senior Lecturer and Consultant in Gastroenterology at Aberdeen University in Scotland, UK, and current Visiting Academic Fellow at the Frederick National Laboratory of Cancer Research in the USA. In my role as Education Editor for GUT, I'm hosting this podcast today. This month, I'm discussing the Editor's Choice Manuscript from the July issue of GUT, presented by Dr. Mario Rushino's group of collaborators, entitled Probiotic and Postbiotic Activity in Health and Disease, Comparison on a Novel Polarized Ex Vivo Organ Culture Model. This work was conducted within the European Institute of Oncology in Milan in Italy and is also the focus of an accompanying commentary by Wildenberg and van der Brink in the same issue of GUT. I'm delighted to welcome the senior author of this paper, Dr. Mario Restino, here today to discuss this paper. Welcome. So this is a very interesting paper that presents a novel ex vivo culture method to study the complex interaction between the intestinal epithelial barrier, the interluminal microbial community, and potential therapies such as probiotics that act to influence the microbiota. So let's first discuss this novel organ culture system. Can you just briefly describe this new intestinal mucosal culture system that you've developed? Uh, thank you very much for uh, the appreciation on our paper. Uh, so my collaborator, Katerina Zlingire, who is the first author of the paper, and I have developed a new organ culture model that allows to culture mucosal tissues uh, for up to 36 hours in a polarized fashion. Uh, we confirmed that in order for the tissue to be preserved, the organ needs to be cultured in a pressurized oxygen chamber. But I have additionally added a polarized feature to the, closely resemble the in vivo situation. Okay, can you tell us how you obtained the intestinal mucosal tissue that you used for the culture? Uh, the intestinal mucosal tissue is obtained after surgery, directly from our pathology unit. Uh, this actually is, a, is a, an advantage because uh, we, we have available a large tissue surface that uh, we can work on, and also the tissue arrives very fresh. Okay. And why is it important to maintain the apical basolateral polarity of the mucosa? In your paper, you highlight examples of differing immune responses elicited by stimulation of each. So can you just explain this a little bit to us now, please? Uh, it is actually fundamental to maintain the apical to basolateral polarity, uh, especially if you want to test uh, at the same time more than one condition, because uh, what you do when the tissue arrives, you need to cut it into pieces, and hence the stimulus that you are applying, it could enter also via the broken edges of the tissue. This is not uh, a physiological route in the, in the intestine because whatever arrives uh, at the mucosal surface, it has to cross the mucosal barrier in the gut, in the gut before it, it gets in contact with the immune cells. And so it has to, to pass through several layers of security. These layers include uh, the mucosal layer, uh, the epithelial barrier, and then the immune cells. If the tissue is broken because you, you have cut it into pieces because you want to do more than one stimulation, then it can get, uh, uh, the stimulus can get in touch with immune cells without a previous discrimination by the barrier because it could enter via the broken edges of the tissue. Because it's known that, uh, uh, for instance, toll-like receptor stimulation on immune cells is different from that on uh, epithelial cells, then you can have a completely different response that what, than what you are expecting. So the maintenance of this polarity is a main concept of your culture system. So how did you achieve the polarity? Uh, we achieved the polarity in a very simple way because uh, we glued a cave cylinder on the top of the apical face of the tissue. 
So uh, the, the cylinder is glued by uh, surgical glue, and so it is uh, inert on the tissue, and it behaves like a chamber that serves four purposes. The first one is that it avoids leakage of the stimulus via the broken edges of the tissue, as I was mentioning before, and this preserves polarity. The second is that it allows to stimulate a very defined region of the tissue, so uh, the, the stimulus is not uh, going everywhere on the tissue, but only in that area that you have stimulated. The third is that it allows to have exactly on the same piece also the negative control of the tissue that is just outside of the cylinder so that has not seen the stimulus, and this allows to observe histologically the effect of the stimulation. And then finally, it also allows to optimize the use of the tissue because depending on the size of the cylinder, you can do more than one stimulation, and so you don't need uh, as much tissue as you would need if you didn't have the cylinder on the top. So you mentioned earlier that the duration of your culture was 36 hours. So how did you maintain tissue viability over this period? To ensure the tissue viability, we need the oxygen. So we can do the stimulation in a, in a normal incubator, so uh, without oxygen, but this can, be, can last maximum to a couple of hours. But then uh, uh, the stimulus is uh, removed and then the, the tissue is put in this oxygen chamber. So another unique property of your culture system is protection of the intestinal barrier. You mentioned this before, but can you explain this to us and how you achieved uh, the barrier function? Yeah, we found that uh, after the culture, uh, the tissue presents itself with typical features of the intestinal mucosal barrier because it, uh, the mucus layer is preserved. And we also found uh, the two mucus layers, the thick one and the loose one, that are characteristic of the mucus. And also the microbiota is preserved. And so any stimulation we do is uh, concerning what is the microbiota of the individual and also the mucus layer. Uh, however, as we culture the tissue in oxygen, we cannot be sure that the microbiota that we have at the end of the culture is representative of the situation that is present before the culture, so in the gut of the individual, because in theory, anaerobes are not bound to prosper in oxygen. So further analysis should be performed in order to really understand whether we are keeping exactly the same microbiota at the end of the culture. But what we know is that uh, when we apply the stimulus, the microbiota is the same, so we can see what's the effect of the microbiota, at least during the stimulation. So to bring all this together and put it into context of um, what, what current methodologies are available, um, can you just tell us before this, um, what was available for similar preclinical studies in the past? How does your methodology differ and what are the benefits of this new system? Previous methodologies, for instance, the Asin chamber, uh, this allowed to apply the stimulus in a polarized fashion exactly like we do. But uh, this was uh, only for a limited amount of time and only for a few conditions. Uh, in our model system, we can analyze up to 20 conditions at the same time and uh, for a much prolonged time of uh, analysis, uh, up to 36 hours. There was another report in the literature showing polarization, but that was on transwall membranes, and this was achieved by the use of uh, quite a complicated system made of a disc that was applied on the top of the tissue. Uh, but this, however, had a very nev negative impact on the tissue morphology in subsequent analysis. So, um, and also the amount of tissue was very limited. While with our methodology, uh, the entire tissue is uh, fully viable at the end of the, of the culture, and it allows for analysis of uh, several readouts like protein expression, cytokine release, RNA arrays, uh, and histology, cell isolation and purification, immunohistochemistry, and, and so on. 
So you then went on to assess the response of your intestinal culture model to probiotics. So can you just remind us um, the definition really of probiotics, prebiotics and postbiotics and the current evidence for application to gastrointestinal disease such as IBD? Uh, well, probiotics are considered uh, live organisms that, if given in adequate amounts, are beneficial to the health of the host. So it's quite a large definition. Uh, then uh, prebiotics are components uh, uh, of the food that can favor the growth of certain microorganisms. And hence, they could act both on the growth of uh, any administ administered probiotic, but also on the microbiota. Uh, postbiotics is a term that uh, actually we have introduced uh, to describe metabolic products of probiotics, so something that is after the probiotic. Uh, most of the clinical trials in IBD uh, have been uh, using primarily probiotics, but these are really not conclusive. Uh, there is some beneficial effect on a, uh, of probiotic administration in pouchitis, but the data on IBD is controversial and uh, is not very encouraging, at least as far as induction of remission is concerned. During remission, uh, probiotics have been observed to act beneficially, but only in ulcerative colitis. So can you tell us which probiotics you assessed and why these were chosen? Uh, we assessed the effect of uh, three different lactobacilli, uh, these are already present in the clinic. One is uh, quite a famous one that is called Lactobacillus rhamnosus GG, LGG. This has proven to, to have effects on infant diarrhea. And another one is Lactobacillus plantarum V299. Uh, this has been used in several dietary products. And the third one is Lactobacillus paracasei B21060. Uh, actually, we started all the work in the beginning because this strain is commercialized by an Italian company. Uh, so it initially committed to us a study to evaluate the monomolitary properties of the, this bacterium, uh, but then uh, uh, all of the study that we presented in the paper has not been funded by the company, but uh, by the EU and uh, by an Italian foundation that is called Cariplo. So we started for purposes that uh, had been uh, asked to us by this company, but then uh, we were very much interested in knowing the results, so we continued working also without their support. So let's talk a little bit more about the postbiotics. Can you tell us what you found when the inflammatory potential of Salmonella typhimurium was assessed in relation to treatment with Lactobacillus paracasei and how this could have a potential role in GI pathology? So we started some years ago, and in a previous publication, we found that the anti-inflammatory properties of this uh, Lactobacillus paracasei B21060, uh, this was associated to uh, its culture supernatant that we call the postbiotic. So uh, then we wanted to test the activity of this supernatant also in our ex vivo organ culture. And we found that it could uh, protect the tissue from salmonella-induced pathology. We also found that the activity was exerted directly on the tissue and not on salmonella because uh, the supernatant of uh, this bacilli that is called uh, postbiotic uh, did not contain anything that was either arresting the growth of the salmonella or killing the bacteria. Uh, and, uh, but when we were pretreating the tissue uh, with the supernatant before adding the salmonella, the capacity of salmonella to enter the tissue was drastically reduced. So this suggested to us that uh, also in vivo, there may be some microbiota strains that uh, may be capable of releasing tissue protective factors. I don't think this is uh, just a characteristic of our lactobacilli. And several reports actually have been recently published in confirming this theory. 
so it is possible that during this biosis, so when you have a, a dysregulation of uh, the bacteria present in the microbiota, there could be also reduction in the number of these beneficial microbes that could release protective factors. And so uh, by uh, a reduction of these bacteria, they may not be capable anymore to inhibit uh, the pathology induced by pathobions that are the more aggressive bacteria present in the microbiota. Have you identified any specific soluble mediators in the uh, lactobacillus paracaceae supernatant that could have this protective uh, function that's responsible for the positive effects that you've seen? Uh, unfortunately not. We have not yet uh, identified the mediators, but we are working on it. We think it may be a peptide, but just preliminary data. Yeah, it's uh, early days yet. <laughs> yeah. um, so some of the probiotics tested resulted in a detrimental immune response. Can you tell us about this a little bit more? We actually were quite uh, surprised to find that not all probiotics are innocuous on a healthy tissue. And in particular, one of the lactobacilli that we tested, Lactobacillus plantarum, was promoting an inflammatory response that was similar to that induced by the Salmonella strain that we used. So this may explain why there was a, re a report uh, uh, last year by a Norwegian group that showed an unfavorable effect of Lactobacillus plantarum on uh, uh, inflammatory bowel syndrome patients. Uh, so uh, they were testing these uh, probiotics and they found that the patients uh, were not feeling very very well. So if the, this strain that they used that is different from the one that, that we used has the same inflammatory properties, we're not surprised that there was detrimental activity on uh, these patients. So uh, this suggests that uh, caution should be used when uh, promoting a probiotic during acute inflammation or uh, anyway uh, also on healthy tissue, on healthy patients. So can you just summarize the main benefits of your novel culture system for us? So I think that there are three main benefits. One is uh, the maintenance of uh, viability and polarity of the tissue by uh, the action of uh, oxygen and the cylinder, the cave cylinder. The simultaneous testing of several stimuli, not only probiotics, but also postbiotics, any candidate drugs or biologics that we want to test because we can use also tissue coming from cancer patients, for instance. And then uh, that uh, we can have many readouts test the activity like RNA, DNA, protein expression, cell population analysis, tissue histology, and so on. And finally, how might the findings of your study impact on our clinical practice? Well, we think that uh, we may provide uh, a suitable model to test the activity of several compounds or microorganisms on both healthy and pathological tissues, and this may allow for a safer translation of a drug, probiotic or postbiotic, into the clinics in order to avoid uh, clinical disasters. Well, this takes us to the end of today's podcast. Um, I'd just like to, to finish off by thanking Dr. Rashino here for joining me here today. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.